Good morning, beautiful people. So I'm sitting here and um, I ran across a video um, last night, just waking up this morning and thinking about it and remembering Mr. Cosby and all that he's going through and all that he's gone through. If you guys have not seen the Commonwealth versus Bill Cosby documentary by Nicole's View, please watch that. So I was thinking about how he, you know, when you going through something, if any of you have been through really hard times and you look around for the people that were there when everything was good and you only find a couple of people. And I was thinking about that with Mr. Mr. Cosby. When he was in the entertainment industry and he was doing his shows, everybody was around him. He was getting awards and accolades. People were saying really nice things about him. And then when all the allegations came out and these ladies start talking and telling these stories, I began to think to myself, who was telling the truth and who was lying? I said, people are just believing what these women are saying at face value. They're not questioning them. They're not sitting them down and trying to figure out if they're lying or if they're telling the truth. Automatically, when they say, I did this with Mr. Cosby. He put a pill and he put a powder in my drink or he gave me a pill to have me relax and chill out. What was it that was going to make sure that Mr. Cosby received justice? What was that one thing that was going to happen to make sure that these women who were telling these stories were going to be held accountable. To this day, there's been nothing that has occurred except for a few women saying, yes, we lied. We exaggerated our story. Those were the women that had large platforms that were high-profile women. What about the other women? What about the women that were on the cover of a magazine? There were 50, I think. That said that Bill Cosby did these things to them. I never see myself as shaming anybody who is a victim or a survivor of abuse. But I will tell you, I want to sit down and have a conversation. I'm not going to believe what somebody says at face value, but I am going to question them and I'm going to sit and I'm going to listen. And most of the time when I sit down and listen to someone who's been abused, you know that they have because there's this energy, there's this unspoken energy that I feel. And if I don't feel that energy right away, 
then I know something is wrong and I'm going to start asking questions. They're not going to be questions where I'm going to be rude and say, oh, that didn't happen to you. Oh, you're just lying. I would never do things like that. I ask questions to where, you know, it's like, okay, help me understand this part of it. Help me understand that part of it. And I've never run across anybody that has told me about their abuse. I've never run across anybody that was lying. I've never run across anybody that was exaggerating. Because they know the liars. They know their audience. They're not going to tell their story to somebody that has been abused, that is very strong, and that's not going to believe their every word. Liars choose their audience. So when Oprah did her special after Neverland, I was really sad. I was very upset. I was outraged. Because like a jury selection, they picked and they handpicked their audience because they knew that these people were not going to question Wade and James because of the trauma that they had endured they didn't want to relive that and they didn't want to possibly trigger these liars so it was it was a catch 22 in that situation. It was another orchestration on Oprah Winfrey's part. And I believe in my heart that this with Mr. Cosby, Oprah Winfrey had something to do with it. Because Every time you turn around, every black man, well, I won't say every black man, but every time you turn around, there's a black man that's coming, there's a black man's name coming out of her mouth whom she wishes to to destroy. Now, I don't know what she said about Mr. Cosby. I've never watched any interviews or anything, but she stayed away from that publicly, but privately, I think she has something to do with it. Because if you watch when she openly betrays a black man in the entertainment industry, it's always the same methods. It's always done in the same way. And I'm not going to be naive to think that Oprah is this person that just picks and chooses who she wants to victimize. I'm not that naive. I don't think that she has a kind bone in her body. She is out to seek, kill, and destroy, and devour black men. 
and to turn black women against their black men. She has every intention of doing that. So when you look at this whole thing with Mr. Cosby, there were a lot of people in the entertainment industry that were involved in getting Mr. Cosby where he is right now, and that is in prison behind bars. They were adamant about doing it. They didn't care in what way it was done. They used these women to do what they set out to do. And at every turn, they managed to do it. Now, I've spoken about how I felt about the black community and the pound cake speech. And I've, I've, I've spoken about that before in one of my episodes. I can't remember which one it is. I think it's the dedicated to Mr. Cosby, maybe. I can't remember. But there was a little push in there, too, from the black community. A little... Some people who were upset about what he said in mixed company. So I'm I'm kind of thinking that there were some people that, you know, kind of inched that along too. Inched along the, the trial that he had to go through. The trial that was so full of errors and misjudgments and no evidence. No evidence. And you and and you and you say to yourself, if there's no evidence, how the fuck is he behind bars? Well, I've said this in another episode. When there is something that happens in the court of law that does not seem right, it is because there are more dirty motherfuckers then there are people who want justice to prevail. I've said this before. So, when you have that, what happens? You get what happens to Mr. Cosby, to R. Kelly. And I, I've not had a separate episode about R. Kelly yet. Because I I think I've mentioned him, but I, I need to do one. So... What are we doing? What do we do? How do we think about this whole thing? The stories that were told, the people that cringed when they listened to the stories that were told by these women. They've figured out that what you do to get a black man, if you really want to get him, is to put something on him that deals with something sexual. And you have to have a multiple of people. Multitude of people. But in Michael Jackson's case, they had a few people, a handful, but they had 30 years, 40 years of lies to ride with them to encourage 
these liars to do what they did to Michael. See, when Ray Wade Robeson came out in 2013 and said that Michael, you know, lied when he lied on Michael in 2013, he didn't do that by himself. It wasn't just his mother. It wasn't just his, you know, his sister. Wade did that with some encouragement from other people. So he came again in 2019. But in 2013, between 2013 and 2016, I believe somewhere in there the plan was drawn up to create Leaving Neverland. Somebody needs to investigate Dan Reed. But let's get off of that. So, Mr. Cosby, I am so sorry that he is where he is. So when I think about him, I think about the few people that stood out, stood up for him. And um, I listen to Harvey, Your World, Your View every once in a while. I haven't haven't uh, subscribed to his page again. I'm not going to. I'm just going to watch his videos here and there. But uh, he does talk about the people that supported Mr. Cosby. And one of his really strong supporters is Felicia Rashad. This lady is so strong for standing by Mr. Cosby. And people don't think about how... She was under those covers with Mr. Cosby time after time. She got pregnant with Condola. I think that's her daughter's name. And she had to cover up her belly. I was so happy for her when people were talking about that. I was like, oh my gosh, she's pregnant. She's going to have her baby. And I'm like thinking, how was she going to manage on the show? And I remember her and Mr. Cosby being in the bed and she had her stomach covered. And there were certain scenes where she was in where they wouldn't show her belly because she wasn't pregnant on the show. So I thought this was beautiful. I thought it was lovely. I thought it was so lovely. And um, nobody thought to think that Felicia was with Mr. Cosby in intimate ways and she didn't say anything but I guess Felicia came along at a time after all of these women say that Mr. Cosby did these things to them so maybe it's maybe he's not doing those things anymore maybe it's just that she is all in a world all her own and Mr. Cosby treated her differently. No man who is going to abuse women will resist the urge to try and abuse more. They can't just put the brakes on shit. 
So you have to ask yourself why. Felicia Rashad, out of all women, should be the first one to say, yeah, I kind of felt weird doing that show with him. But she didn't. That should make people wonder. But I guarantee nobody looks at it like that. I bet you people have looked at it as if, well, maybe her and Mr. Cosby had a thing going. That that will be the excuse. That will be what people will see. Something dirty, something sinister. They won't see that she's uh, an intelligent black woman who's strong and doesn't put up with any shit. It doesn't look like because she divorced her husband. So, you have to ask ask yourself, why wouldn't she say something? She was with Mr. Cosby in two different shows. There was the Cosby show with just her and Mr. Cosby, and they had one daughter. And then there was the Cosby show with all the kids. Which, by the way, I can't watch it. I cannot watch that show because I am very disappointed in Theo. Malcolm Jamal Warner. I'm so pissed at him. Because that Negro, his acting is horrible. It was horrible on that show. And I used to think to myself, can't they get another Theo? Because this nigga cannot act. I would think that his friend, um, Cockroach, would be more suitable as a Cosby kid than Theo. He was so bad at acting. And I was like, okay, well, we'll just roll with it. And, um, so yeah, Felicia Rashad was his standalone. And I think there were a few other people in the Cosby show that didn't turn their backs on Mr. Cosby. Raymond Simone, she stuck up for him. And then she turned around and flip flopped. So you can't trust what the fuck she says. Lisa Bonet, I... I knew she was going to turn her back on him because she just nasty anyway. When she went and did that damn movie during her Cosby show stint and she came crawling back, I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I had no more respect for her after that. I was like, she is a nasty person. Tempest Bloodsoe, I think she's stuck by Mr. Cosby. But she's she's always been a really intelligent young lady. And I think that uh, Rudy, Rudy, um, shit, what is her name? Um, I can't remember Rudy's real name. But she's grown now. I think she's got her own daughter. She's been in relationship after relationship. And she's engaged again to some guy. And I, I think Rudy is going to have issues with her love life for a while. But she seems to be supportive of Mr. Cosby, I think. But Felicia has been supportive of Mrs. Camille Cosby as well. And um, 
She stood by her. And you can't help but feel bad for Camille. I need to do an episode on her because I don't know much about her. So I want to do some research on her and give respect to her because it can't be easy. It can't be easy. So I wanted to play a clip of a video that I found on YouTube um, announcing that Miss Felicia Rashad is the new Howard University Fine Arts Dean. Take a listen with me, will you? Privileged to be joined today by the Dean of the reestablished Howard University College of Fine Arts, uh, Dean Felicia Rashad, uh, who has had a turn as one of America's most iconic actors uh, and a proud alumna of the Howard University. So, Dean, first, congratulations to you um, and thank you for your time today. Can you first describe the feeling, I would imagine, for any alumnus coming home? It is a great feeling to, to be able to lead a college of which you are a product. Uh, but at Howard University, I know it's a distinct feeling. Can you kind of describe that that emotion for you as of last week? <laughs> it was um, reminiscent of uh, freshman year, <laughs> arriving on campus. Um, I was thinking about those that rush, that flood of feelings, um, excitement to be there, um, what to expect what you couldn't possibly expect, what you know, what you don't know, so much you don't know. <laughs> really looking forward to being a part of something great because that's what Howard University is. It is great. And, um, and I thought a lot about my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, my father, Dr. Andrew A. Allen, was a graduate of 1945 class from the School of Dentistry. Mm-hmm. And he loved Howard University, as did his classmates. That class was an exceptional and extraordinary class of men. And he loved Howard University. And he talked about it all the time. And in my senior year of high school, he said, Darling, you can apply anywhere you like, but you're going to Howard. <laughs> <laughs> And he began to show me all these magazines, uh, uh, magazines about the Howard University players uh, at the Abbey Theater in Ireland and a visit that was sponsored by the State Department. He, he just let me know this was where I had to be. And he was right about that. He was so right about that. That was for you and your sister, I imagine. Right. And then, you know, our, our, our connection to Howard goes beyond that. Dr. Uh, Ronald Gray, who was also a graduate of the College of Dentistry, um, is married to my cousin Vivian, and two of their daughters are graduates of Howard University's College of Dentistry. So it's a family affair. <laughs> how, did the, how did the conversation get started with this particular executive role for you? Um, I, I think there are theories of how it happens, but how does that work with, with, with someone like you who, to put it candidly, you don't really need it. <laughs> you, may, you, may, you may love the opportunity, but it's not needed. So how, those, how does that conversation negotiation start for you? 
Well, there was the idea of it, first of all, which was something that was beyond my thinking. Mm -hmm. I've been returning to Howard uh, periodically over the years to offer classes in acting, master classes, or, you know, work with students, or to answer questions or just speak. And it never occurred to me to have a role beyond that. Mm -hmm. Although I was, I did serve two terms as a trustee. And uh, that was adventurous too, because I hadn't ever thought to be a trustee either, you know. Mm -hmm. So these opportunities present themselves and it's like, do you, do you take hold of that opportunity or not? You know, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's an opportunity that I am embracing. A, a lot of people don't realize that you have taught acting uh, for theater and, and cinema for, for a long time at many stops. Um, no, so I realize that. Obvi- a lot, obviously, this is, you know, the academic environment is nothing new for you. But how do you envision your role, particularly at HU? Is it is it more that because this is a, a college that's being reestablished that you have to think about infrastructure? How do I can how can I raise some money? How can I bring partners in? Or do you think that we have to reestablish culture as the priority? Here's the culture of the College of Fine Arts, and here's what I want our students to think and believe about their careers. What is in your vision executively? What is the most important thing to you? Well, they're both important. They're mutually important mm-hmm. because programs need support. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yes, a faculty will envision a, a curriculum, and the faculty will envision a, a contemporary curriculum in which knowledge is not lost. And there needs to be support in the College of Fine Arts. There must be support for for student production. And when I say student production, I mean in, in all areas, in all departments. Um, so you need both. Mm-hmm. You just need both. To have, a, to have a robust program, you need both. What is the kind of student that you would expect uh, to want the opportunity at Howard in, in the reestablished College of Fine Arts? So we know there, there is no shortage of talent that has come out of that institution. You have helped put some of that talent <laughs> into and through that institution. But now that you're there, a whole bunch of folks are going to want to come to that institution. So what do you expect or what is the caliber of student that should be prepared for the Howard, particularly the theater train, the acting track, under your vision and under the, you know, under the faculty's advisement and under the faculty's direction? What can they expect or what caliber of student are you looking for? Howard University is an academic institution in which academic excellence is expected. It's a, it's a goal as is service to the community. It's expected. So the students at the College of Fine Arts should not be different from the students uh, in liberal arts or engineering and architecture or in medicine or in any of the other colleges. These are people who are here to do the work. Mm-hmm. That's the caliber of student that, that I would expect. And when I say do the work, I mean all of it. You know. 
all of it. Art mm -hmm. disciplines and training and academic disciplines as well. Mm. Yeah. You said a contemporary uh, experience for, for Howard. What, what do you think will be different about the college under your tenure versus how you how you came through as an undergraduate? What, what are some new things about acting and method that students will need to be prepared for to have opportunities in Hollywood because the industry is so different and it's and it's displayed in so many different ways? What are things that actors need to know now that maybe you didn't know or you've seen evolve over time? There are different techniques uh, that develop through time in the theater. Um, there are that many students don't know anything about and are taught in all colleges. And yet they provide a very vibrant experience and extraordinary development for artists who embrace them. There are contemporary approaches to music, you know. Mm -hmm and the visual arts as well. Still retaining the knowledge from hundreds of years ago. So what that is going to look like? Well, I need to talk to the faculty first. Mm -hmm. This is collaborative work. So I'm gonna leave it right there. Um, I Congratulations to her, I'm happy for her. I think that um, she is well-suited for this. Um, this is a long time coming, and um, I'm happy. I'm happy to see good things coming her way because she deserves it. Not because she stood by Mr. Cosby, but because she is a woman of integrity, and she's phenomenal. Take care, guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting me.